Welcome back to another WSL episode. A lot to catch up on, um, but we're here to talk and analyze the last WSL weekend. It feels like we've been gone for like a month and it's always been, I think it's only been like two weeks, um, but it feels like it's been a really, really long time and it's weird. But anyway, I'm your host, Alex Ibaceta, and I'm joined by the usual Jesse Parker Humphreys and Abdullah Abdullah. How have you two been? It's in this past two months that we haven't recorded anything, Jesse. Yeah, good. It does feel like it's been ages. I don't I don't really know. I guess it's just they've there's so many competitions, but like they run for like two weeks and then there's a different competition on. And that runs for a week. Like it was obviously the FA Cup last week and I can't get my head around it to be honest. Yeah, it was a bit weird because obviously this is the first WSL weekend that we had since international break, but then it was the FA Cup last weekend. So you feel like teams have already been back, but not really. Abdullah, how do you feel? Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's It was the FA Cup and then you had the Champions League last night and tonight. So you just feel like we've seen all these teams play already. And then, um, you know, everything's just kind of been in this mad rush of, of games. But um, I'll put it out there. I did miss the part. I did miss recording with both of you. So good to be back. Yeah, it's been it has been weird. Um, I do I did miss it a little bit. A bit weird not to have a, a weekly pod aligned. Only a little bit. Come on, just a little bit. I, I just pulled my heart out. My, my, okay, okay, my, mom, my mom was visiting, so I was kind of <laughs> happy for a week off. <laughs> I, I just poured my heart out here, and then just like a little. <laughs> no, bit. I didn't Come miss on. you guys at all. It's fine. No, I did miss it. Yeah, I did see. feel like it felt out of place not to record with you guys. Like. Going a week without True. scheduling a recording, I was just like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> well, I felt lost without you. Jesse, is that better? <laughs> Much better. Fair I'll enough. take that. I'll take it. <laughs> but going back to the WSL now, um, as it stands, Arsenal still sit three points clear at the top of the table, obviously <laughs> because of the win over Chelsea at the start of the season. Tottenham sit in third. Do-do-do. Two points off Chelsea, who sit in second, obviously, and one point off Brighton in fourth. Not exactly the table that we would have predicted still. Um, Man United sit in fifth, and Man City sit in seventh. At the other side of the table, Leicester City sit bottom uh, with zero points, with Birmingham City second to last with just the one point from six games. So we're, we're getting a feel of, of kind of... I think more the bottom of the table than, than the top at this very moment, but we'll get right into it. Arsenal four, West Ham nil. Kim Little Brace, what a woman. Beth Mead goal and a really unfortunate own goal by Grace Fisk. We'll get into that in a bit. But of course, we have to mention a milestone. With the brace in this match, Kim Little will reach 50 Arsenal goals in 98 appearances. Which is, it's quite good for considering the type of midfielder that she is. Um, she's more about building play than she is about scoring. Um, and obviously she has been scoring a lot more this season, which is really nice to see. Um, but both goals were, were definitely worth the milestone, um, especially the second one. The angle that she put in that goal was very, very impressive. Um, but yeah, it took Arsenal a little bit to, to find a break for the goal. Not because there weren't chances, because there were quite a lot of chances even at I don't know there was one Beth Mead one that went off the post and then Nikita Paris didn't put it in and it was just nearly I don't know how that didn't go in at all um and then obviously Mackenzie Arsenal had a few good saves I have must admit um 
her saving that Caitlin Ford diving header was really unfortunate because that was going to be a really good goal. That ball from Leah Williamson was just perfect. But yeah, uh, Kim Little got the first goal of the game in 40 minutes. Now, it's, I mean, it's what we expected in reality of 4 0 over West Ham. Um, but yeah, that Beth Mead scoring is a bit inevitable at the moment for Arsenal. And it was her cross that Grace Fisk um, wrongly tried to, to kick away. It just awkwardly hit her shin and it went into the back of the net. Just really, really unfortunate. But of course, Beth Mead was a bit deserving that one. I must say she should get the assist at least on that officially. Um, but Abdullah, I think we're running out of things to talk about with Arsenal because there's barely anything to criticize at the moment. And we're just keep talking about them winning and winning and Beth Mead scoring and Viv Miedema being Viv Miedema and all these little things. Um, but there's one player in particular that I do want to focus on. Um, Frida Manum, I think, has been a, I think, Arsenal's best signing this summer. And I think that says a lot considering who Arsenal signed. Um, and a bit of a cute story from Jonas Eidervall's press conference yesterday. Tim Stillman asked about Frida um, because they've worked together before when they were both in the Swedish league. And when... Freedom Adam signed for Arsenal before Jonas Eidevall came to Arsenal. And in his interview, he, he was asked what players he would like to bring in. And the first player on his list was Freedom Adam. And they're like, yeah, we already got her. So that was a big bonus for him also. And he rates her really, really highly, of course. And the fact that he basically said these things never work out so well in football. And I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, so it's really good. I think Freedom Manum definitely fits in Arsenal and especially under Jonas Eidevall. She's been playing some of her best football. But Abdullah, what do you think? How important is she in that midfield anchor? I think, I think honestly, I think she's becoming more and more important as the games go by because you see that she brings something different that the previous center midfielders didn't bring. You look at a Kim Little, you look at Adia Volti, you look at all these kind of players that play in the middle of the park and... Manam is is almost a very different profile to any of them, and you you see in the in the in the fact that she's able to kind of do this box to box role, but also be this very energetic and dynamic playmaker at the same time. She's almost like all over the pitch whenever you need her. When you need, when they're building up, she will drop in to help Leo Volti when they when they need a passing option. When there's a transition, she will be in the heart of that. When they're in the final third, she's either on the ball driving forward or she's or she's finding pockets of space. She's really good at you know you know exchanging passes in tight areas. She's kind of got this all round game to her that at such a young age is is incredible to see. And I think the the the, the scary thing and the best thing is that we still have a couple more levels of her to improve on obviously consistency needs to be uh the biggest part of her game and obviously improving the you know the the tidbits you know here and there where she needs to but i think she's i mean for her first few games in, in english football i think she's um she's really shown that what kind of a player she is and the fact that she's going to become a very important part of arsenal's midfield going forward and 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 almost like the perfect uh base for Eidoval to 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 build his team around and it kind of I think it's just a shout out to the Swedish league to show that this is the level of players that they're developing and I I still feel like there's an undervaluation of the of the players that are there not coming into the you know main mainland of Europe where you know the, the other top leagues are so I think I think she's a testament to that definitely yeah just a reminder that Fyodor Manon is just 22 years old so 
pretty much her entire career ahead of her. Um, obviously, her first season with a big club like Arsenal coming from the Swedish league. Um, but Jesse, one of obviously Abdullah mentioned there, you know, Freedom Adam is really big on the press, which is why I think um, Adeval prefers her over Leo Valti in that in that role, because I think Manam has a bit more aggression in going forward and being able to attack and being able to do that high press uh, for, perhaps maybe just a little bit more than Leo Valti. But Arsenal's press in this game in particular was maybe a bit too much for West Ham to handle. But what are the key aspects of this high and aggressive press that is working so well for Arsenal so far? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is just the fact that they're doing it. I mean, I went and had a look and compared their press from this year and last year. And, you know, last year, last season, they ranked almost bottom. They ranked 10th pressures in the final third um, across the league. Uh, and this year they ranked second behind Chelsea, who, you know, have a reputation as being like an insanely high pressing team. So <laughs> I think that's the first key thing. And then, you know, secondly, I think also the the size of squad is also helping with that because it feels like when players are coming into the team, they're fresh, they're actually able to... Um, make those moves and I think also what's interesting is if you look at um, how successful Arsenal's pressures were comparing from last season to this season last season they would press less but their success rate would be quite high it felt like they kind of pressed when they knew they could win the ball back whereas now the success rate is a lot lower um, but it just feels like it contributes to a level of intensity and the expectation is that those players will go kind of regardless of how likely they think they are to get the ball back. And I think over time, even just going regardless of getting the ball back places um, more pressure on on the teams who are defending because it just feels like constant, like every time you get the ball, even if you're kind of being able to play around from that player, you know that's immediately I think over a period of 90 minutes that can like force you to make more and more mistakes um so yeah it'll be interesting to see if they can like really maintain it for for the entirety of the season um and again I feel like it's something that against maybe the very top teams it will also you know when we're thinking about uh, that Chelsea matchup in the FA Cup final um future Champions League games again it's like it's quite it's not easy but like putting a lot of pressure on like teams with lower quality players is obviously going to give you like more high turnovers and that kind of thing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what that looks like against better teams, I think. Yeah. And, and I'll go off the, the biggest differences from last season to this season in particular, obviously Joe and Tamara laid the basis of what Jonas Heidelfall is kind of growing out of, but outside of that, you know, Last year, Arsenal was our, like injury FC basically because we had we never had any players on the bench. Now there's player rotation. I mean, when was the last time that Viv got this amount of rest? Um, I mean, she just casually just didn't play at the FA Cup um, because she needed rest. Um, you know, she she's managing a lot of her minutes, and I think she's really enjoying that. And the fact that Arsenal and Jonas are able to do that, I think is really, really big. Jesse, like you mentioned there, you know, this is a really high intensity game that Jonas is demanding of the players. And if he doesn't rotate the way he has been, he's never going to be able to get that consistently. Um, but Abdullah, keeping, you know, looking on to all this that we've talked about so far, Arsenal had 85% possession in this game and 21 attempts on goal. I think last season under Joe, it would have been perhaps the same possession, but definitely not the same amount of attempts on goal. How telling is this one stat about Ida Ball? I think, I think it's huge because 
before, like like you said, like Arsenal were a team that just had possession, and then you know you 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 know there's a lot of moving around. Can they get goals? Can they get shots? But now you're getting high possession, what which is then breeding better control of the game, and that's now also resulting in the final thing, which is more attempts on goal, more chances created. You know, I don't have their XG for the season on hand right now, but I'm pretty sure it, it'll be higher than last season just because of the fact that they are scoring a lot more goals. It, it, it Even just when you look at it, do a visual eye test, it looks like they're creating more chances. I mean, you just take this West Ham game as an example. That first 20, 20, 20 minutes was was a little bit rough. They were they were they were trying to find a way through. You know, a couple of couple of uh, shots off the post, um, a couple of wide goals. Uh, West Ham did well to press them as well. But by the end of the game, you look at the scoreline and it's four 0 and you're thinking, okay, you know, may, maybe an Arsenal team of of yesteryear might have maybe only scored one or two in that game. Still won it, but maybe only scored one or two because of the way West Ham you know started well. But twenty one shots and you and you end up getting four goals. I think is a, is a pretty good conversion rate. So I think overall, I think we're just it, it just to me it just says right they're getting better at controlling and creating games at the same time. And if you can do that, it's a whole different prospect. You become very very difficult to play against. And it's kind of what Barcelona does, right? Like we've always seen. They have so much possession, but they almost they know exactly what to do with that position and create chances from that. And Jesse, you alluded to it just a little bit in your last answer, but do you think Arsenal can keep up for kind of the rest of the season or for the important games? I mean, obviously, you know, it is kind of easy to guess um, that they're going to high price and obviously Barcelona are probably the best ones at that and we're able to play out <laughs> with no problem no matter what the high press was but the other factor that Arsenal have in their advantage is the players is the fact that is Steph Catley or Katie McCabe going to be on the left side is Katie McCabe going to be a defender or an attacker is Nikita Perez going to start is Caitlin Ford going to start that's the one advantage that I think the Arsenal have but do you think that that's going to be enough for teams to still not be able to figure out their game plan I think to kind of pick up on something Abdullah's um, just said what will actually what is actually most interesting to me is the fact that Arsenal are actually massively overperforming their XG. Um, their XG per 90 is lower this season than it was last season. Um, so basically there's loads of players who are on a really hot finishing streak. You can see it with Kim Little and Beth Mead. You know, they're really shaking their chances. Um, and they're great players, but you know, logic would tell us that they're not going to run at that streak for the entirety of the season. So I think the West Ham game was a lot better overall attacking game from Arsenal than some of the games that we've seen this season, even though they've racked up quite high scores in a lot of them. You know, Katie McCabe's goals as well, classic examples of like, these are things that you can't necessarily rely on. But also, while saying that, in the WSL, teams aren't pushing Arsenal, um, you know, in their own attacking sense. So even though Arsenal are massively outperforming their, their XG, they wouldn't be losing these games. So to that extent, in the WSL, I kind of think they're probably going to be fine. And I really struggle to see them losing the league from this position. I think the only thing is, is can they maintain this hot streak in, again, the crunch games in the Champions League um, things you know I, it's a bit superstitious for me but sometimes I get stressed when like if my team is on a hot streak because I'm like I don't I don't want to do it now I want to be on a hot streak because it can only go downhill really well exactly um, so I, I'm really really in, intrigued to see that because you know um, 
okay, I think Kim Little's actually clearly getting a lot better scoring opportunities than she has in the past. But I think when I looked up Beth Mead's stats, um, her XG per 90 like has doubled. So, okay, she's getting better opportunities than, than she did previously. Um, but her goal scoring, I think, has tripled or quadrupled. Um, so she's converting those like things massively. And she's not historically been a player who, who did that. She's not Viv Miedemar, who you're like, she is going to outperform her XG every season. So... That's what I'm going to be interested to see. Um, I'll be lying if I wasn't like kind of hoping to see it drop off as well, obviously. Um, but yeah, um, that's I think something that will be like a real like single swim moment for Arsenal later in the season. I mean, I think I agree that this moment, it's the consistency of whether they're going to be able to keep it up. I think it's going to be telling for the future of Jonas Eidevald and players like Viv Miedema. I think if they're able to keep this up to the, to the end of the season, or at least maybe not, you know, they could still lose the title, but maybe still get, you know, second place with just lose by goal difference. Actually, I think that might be worse. But point is, is that I think this has to happen consist- consistently to the end of the season for players to stay on board and for people to fully commit to the Jonas Eidolf process, which I think what he's trying to do is similar to what Barcelona did. It's the fact that you're taking players and you're you're kind of molding them to a certain to a certain like philosophy and ethos of the team. And then, you know, two, three years later you're going to get the payoff and you may win the Champions League, for example. But I think yeah, the consistency is going to be a huge factor of whether, you know, Mirama stays ultimately. I think that's the biggest the biggest thing and everything else under that kind of goes together. But we'll move on to Chelsea 1, Aston Villa nil. Jesse Fleming started and scored the winning goal. That's it. That's all I have to say. That's it. Podcast over. That's it. That's the most important thing that we had to say. Um, but it was it was a really... The, I think the assist, the assist was better on this one than, than the finish, although the finish was still calm. Um, but G kind of just scooped the ball casually just over and it dropped perfectly behind the the Aston Villa defense and Jesse just finished really really calmly um, off her first touch so that was really good but it's not exactly the result that you would expect from Chelsea versus Aston Villa considering we have criticized the Aston Villa defense before on this podcast Um, and Reading did manage to win 3-0 against Aston Villa. Um, But at the same time, we do know that Aston Villa prioritize their defending a lot. So it's not really the entire surprising. And also Chelsea's player selection wasn't, you know, the best starting 11. Um, So with everything put in together, um, you can definitely defend the scoreline. I mean, at the end of the day, it's three points um, and that's what Chelsea need no matter what. So let's talk about the Chelsea formation and lineup. Um, now in, in the center of Magda and Millie Bright in the back three, Yona Anderson and Neve Charles as the wing backs and Cuthbert Fleming up top, um, which is very bizarre. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse. Um, I just got, I just got side eyes right now, but Anyway, with two consecutive midweek Champions League matches, I think it's pretty safe to say that the selection is to rest players um, and just to manage minutes more than anything. But Jesse, what do you think of this team selection and formation? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting recording this after the Champions League game. I think if you'd asked me before the Champions League game, I was like, this is really frustrating selection because they weren't very good and we need to think about goal difference if we want to beat Arsenal. But... Um, now it feels like having beaten Savet 7-0, Emma Hayes just wanted to 
give the team a boost in the Champions League group. You know, I think finishing top of that Champions League group is a real must for this Chelsea side. Um, and obviously with Juventus and Wolfsburg drawing and them really boosting their goal difference there, that like is a, a big advantage. And we've already talked this season about how we think Hayes is maybe going to prioritise the Champions League over the WSL anyway, which I can kind of totally understand from her perspective as much as I'd like Chelsea to win everything. Um, that seems like a reasonable thing to do. Um, that being said, I still think it's disappointing to see the team kind of attack in like such a limited way with those players um, playing there. But I just think it's the nature of, well, I think it's two things. I think Hayes wants to give more fringe players more minutes this season. And I think she's trying to get it in early so she can rotate more across the whole season. But I think what we're seeing in this Leicester game and this Villa game is kind of the teething issues with that. You've got players coming in who like don't have the same kind of fluency with each other that you see like to the extreme with Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby. Um, but, you know, that being said, there I think there still are positives. Jesse Fleming, obviously, in that front three, I think works really well. She obviously scored again last night um, against the vet, which, which was cool too. You know, she's just such a high-quality player and... You know, that's a mate. Like, if she's going to come in and play all those minutes across those kind of games, like, I love that for her and for the team. Um, but, you know, there's also players then you're looking at and you're thinking, like, is this really working out long term? Like, Donna Anderson, you're just like, it's so crazy that this time last year she was like nailed on. And now you're like, meh. But she is someone who I just think has really like looks off the pace um, from not playing as much. Um, but you know obviously Chelsea Chelsea got the win and given they scored so early it never really felt like a worry um, it wasn't like the Leicester game where I was sitting there with like 10 minutes ago thinking like oh my god we're actually going to draw this so I think it just is what it is at the end of the day yeah I think that's fair to say Abdullah obviously you know we're reverting to to the back three and Jesse will get on to, to Marin Mielde who obviously made her return yesterday I think we can all be yay and we'll put a little bit of applause in there again um, but obviously you know back three still going strong and it's probably going to keep going strong now that Emma Hayes has another option in there um, but with what players you see the back three the most efficient to complement Chelsea's attack I think this this back three. I think I think this is the one that at least personally I've been calling for for a while, and I think we've all said in some respect that you know we want to see Nauer play and and see how she does. And I think you know with the skill set that we know that that Nauer has, uh, coupled with what Magda and Millie bring to the team, I feel like going forward at, at the very least and what we've seen so far this is probably the most fluid and, and best front three because again repeating myself but we keep talking about the trust factor between the three center backs um there just clearly seems to be a lot more trust and a lot more comfortable um comfort sorry between between the three you know it's, it's like magda and millie can step up do what they need to do from a from a passing perspective and a progression perspective without having to worry about leaving too many gaps behind because they they kind of know that if, if a long ball does come from a from a interception or a transition that that now or will 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 be able to be quick enough and smart enough to sweep up whatever is there and she looks very very comfortable in possession i think that also complements the the two of them on the side so i think for me it's 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 got to be this back three for now but we're going to get onto this next, and I know Jesse's going to answer this now, but once Marimeld is fit, I think you slot her straight in and then you 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 play you play that and then you groom now from there. If we're going based on current fitness, 
this is the three. Once Marin Vialda comes back, she gets into that and she gets into that back line. I don't know how you put her in because there's a there's an argument to put her in different positions, but she has to be in. Jesse, would you like to elaborate on Marin Vialda? Yeah, so obviously Marin Vialda came on last night for maybe like the last 15, 20 minutes. Um, and it's kind of interesting. She came on as the central centre-back in a back three, which I don't think is what most people were expecting. I think most of us thought that she would play it at centre-back, but as the right-sided one. I don't know if that was just because uh, Hayes wanted to keep the structure um, and she didn't want to shift Millie Bright over, but it's not like Savet were like <laughs> bringing a huge attracting threat. So I think we can assume that is, you know, this would be the idea that you play Magda on the left, Marin in the middle and Millie on the right. Triple M. Love that. Branding that now. Um, <laughs> but um I don't know how much she's obviously been out for a really long time. I would be quite surprised, you know, like if we saw her against City or anything like that. I wonder whether she would start maybe against Savet or in the Birmingham game if, if this is a long term thing. But I think we've got some steps to go before we see her back in the team full time. But like last night, she looked good. There was one point where she slipped and fell on her ass. And I was like, oh no, I hope she's not hurt again. But she got up and she was fine. Um, and she ran for the ball and she looked like she still had some kind of speed in her, which was another worry I had because she's not a player who has always historically been the fastest anyway. Um, so yeah, it, it, I think it's a really big boost. I think she'll bring a lot of calmness back to that back three, which is clearly something that has just been missing pretty much since she got injured, you know? Um, so yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I guess the one question is, of course, that the reason Chelsea went to the back three was because they couldn't play Marin Mielder at right back. So as much as Hayes might stick with the back three, there is also still the question mark of whether you just revert to your original defence but I guess now John Anson's been ostracised at left back you can't really do that anymore um, but Chelsea could now just go back to playing their defence which was like pretty much all conquering for the past two seasons up to March when Marin Mielder got, got injured so um, that'd be an interesting one to keep to keep an eye on but for now yeah it looks like it's going to be Triple M Yeah it would it should be interesting to see I thought it was going to I am one of those people that think it was going to revert to the back four once you have Marin Mielder back because then you're able to have more solid defense and not kind of play with that center defender um, in that back three, which obviously is either, you know, and Nguyen still has a lot to learn with Chelsea. And then Carter is just a nerve wrecking player to have in that position. Um, so it should be interesting to see how they go forward. I think those, I think Man City for now, they'll probably stick with the back three that they've known for, for this season so far. And then after that, yeah, against maybe Servette next week, we'll see a bit more of what Emma Hayes might want to try to experiment with going forward. Um, but Abdullah, obviously, you know, we keep mentioning not the best result for Chelsea against a team like Villa, um, who I think we can say have not been the best um, since last season. They, they've never lived up to the expectation that we all had for them, considering the players that they had and everything. But what were Chelsea lacking in this particular instance? Obviously, you know, the players didn't really live up to, I mean, not live up, but they're not Fran Kirby and Sam Kerr, for example. But what else was lacking in that perspective? I think over, I think I'm to keep it like short without having gone too much into it. I think the team just lacked fluency from the changes that were there. It just, it just felt like it was just, I think I said this at some other point early in the week. It, feel, it felt very stop start to me. You know, it, it, it's like when, 
when there was supposed to be an overlapping run, it almost felt like the, what, that wasn't there. When when a ball was supposed to go inside, it went out. When it was supposed to go out, it went in. You know, when you were supposed to take somebody on, I just felt like there was too much of that in the final third, especially in the final third, because I think defensively we've talked about, I think it was it was good. It was fluid. Um, even midfield, I think, I think worked well between Ingle, uh, Fleming, uh, you know, Ingle and Enchi. Um, and, and I think the front three was very, it was, was a little bit disjointed in, in terms of the combination play with the wing backs and everything. You know, Anderson comes in. She, obviously, she's not had enough game time this season. She she looked very rusty. Ring, you know, there was a lot of ring rust there. You know, she she. It's like there were there were times when I felt like if it was a girl right in the same position, you're seeing her taken on the fullback, flying past her, going in for a cross. Anderson would come in, check her, check her run, and maybe pass it inside, which then slows the play down. And, and that's just one example. I felt like there was a bit more of that, coupled with some all right, some okay defending from Aston Villa, literally setting up a block of five back there. But when you're coming up against a block of five on the low block, we keep talking about it. You need to quicken up the play. And if you have so much disjoint, you know, disjointed, you know, between the players up front, you're not going to be able to break them down. So I think, yeah, they got the one goal, which was great, but that they struggled to create after that. Next up is Jesse's favorite manager. <clears throat> Man United won, Spurs won. Alessio Russo, wow. Um, and Rio Percival managed to save two points um, in the 95th minute from a, I mean, it was just a free kick from halfway. She just wind assisted, I think, but. <laughs> Did anyone touch it? I didn't think anyone touched it. No, but it was just very windy, so I feel like it got like oh, extra, very like yeah. I, plow power. Fair, but anyway, it was just a free kick from the halfway line that got carried by the wind uh, into the box on target, and it just went to the back of the net. A very unfortunate way to concede for Man United, really. But Man United finished with seventeen attempts on goal to Spurs' eight. But they only got seven shots on target and Spurs got four. So considering the attempts difference, the shots on target were actually not too bad. And United just edged possession 51%. So it was pretty on paper and stats. It was an okay, even match. But Jesse, did you think that Man United deserved the win or did Spurs deserve the equalizer? Mm, I didn't. <laughs> I feel like Spurs deserved the weak equalizer many because I just felt like neither of them deserved to win. Um, I felt like Spurs definitely were like the better organized team and they felt like they should be really effective without actually creating many good chances. You know, I think this is something we've talked about in the past. It still feels like they don't have a consistent goal scorer um, who's going to be able to turn their kind of organization and, and pressure into regular chances that they're going to be able to put away. Um, but at the same time, United just looked really bad, I thought. Just just like devoid of ideas and like their midfield is this massive black hole, which nobody ever seems to either want to pass to, or if they do pass to it, the ball just goes back to the defense. And they're just constantly like cycling everything round, like the outskirts of their midfield, which in this case was Katie Zellerman and Hayley Ladd. Um, and it's just so easy to defend against because there's no one like drawing anyone into the center center of the pitch so you can just you can just stay in your, your normal way and united's goal like was obviously just this kind of moment of brilliance from alessia Russo. there's a fun 
video United um, put up of her scoring that same goal in training, which I just love. You, you know, when you know players train, they did this, um, Frank Kirby did it last year for the goal she scored against Bayern Munich, where she'd just been practicing the same thing. But like, I just forget that that's what they do all day. And it's like, oh, that's really cool. And they then like do the same thing in the, in the real match. But um, it makes sense. So <laughs> it, does, it does make sense. But sometimes you just forget that's, that's what they do. Um, so... Yeah, I just feel like Mark Skinner obviously really wants he obviously really wants to put this like kind of structure on United, but I feel like at the moment it's really like dulling lots of their really good creative players. Like it felt like, you know, Leah Goldson wasn't really given the opportunity to kind of run at players and, and cross, which, you know, I think is great. Ella Toon had kind of been sucked into this midfield black hole. Um, Katie Zellum, I just think, has had an awful start to the season. It was like summed up by, um, she had this free kick in like quite a good position and she just like smacks it into the wall, but like it fortunately like hit a Spurs player's hand. So she got to take it again and she just did the same thing again. And I was like, no just stop um so I really think he needs to sort that out and I just wonder like obviously he's come from Orlando Pride and there's like so many like insanely creative players there but also who didn't have like the best record I just it just makes me wonder like whether he's maybe better with less talented players like I think that structural stuff like works really well at a kind of mid-table team but being able to blend structure with that kind of like creativity and freedom and trust of your players. Like I'm just not seeing it right now. And I kind of feel like that's what was missing at the pride too. Um, So that's my different Skinner related moan over. (laughs) Maybe I just hate people with the surname Skinner. I mean, clearly, I think that's the common denominator here, Jesse. What's, what's your history with Skinner? What do you want to know? What do you want to tell us? I don't know. The only other Skinner I can think of is Principal Skinner from The Simpsons. <laughs> not quite, not too personal there. Um, but yeah, I think it is really disappointing. And Abdullah, I'll, I'll get to this with you in a bit, but it is very disappointing to see, you know, players like Alessia Russo, who unfortunately didn't get really, really get to play under Casey Stoney, which I thought was big loss for her in particular. Um, I think that was, that could have been really big for her development. Um, in her playing style and I mean I think she's shown exactly like what she's about I mean she gets the ball she's able to push off players in the box she's able to get a ridiculous shot like that from a ridiculous angle and just smash it through with no chance for the keeper to save it Um, and I think players like that it's she's kind of I think going to waste is a bit excessive in this case because it still is Man United you know she's still playing with some of the best players in the league Um, but it's not enough for Man United, like you mentioned there, Jesse. I think uh, a manager that takes over Man United has to know what to do with his players. And I don't think Mark Skinner knows exactly how to get the best, um, especially, I mean, <laughs> big shoes to fill after Casey Stoney did what she did with Man United. And the way she worked with the players, not only on the pitch, but man management, it was amazing, you know. And you're kind of seeing that drop off this season. But Abdullah, you know, same question to you. You know, they lost 6-1 to Chelsea, drew 1-1 with Spurs now. What's your opinion on on Mark Skinner? You know, I thought thought he had a 
I thought he had an okay start. You know, I think there's been patches of games and patches of form that he showed where you're like, all right, you know what? There's this, there's this slight potential in this Man United side. And you, you sit down and you think, you know, there's 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 hints of a making of something here. And that's where that structure that, that, that Jesse you were talking about comes into it. Um, but I feel like the, the structure that he's trying to implement here possibly doesn't exactly suit most of the team like okay if you put in a structure you look at any 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 manager that has a set way of playing you you kind of know that at least 60 70 percent of your side fits into that structure and you can get 67 percent of the side to play well within what you're trying to create to me it feels like at, at united whatever he's trying to put in doesn't benefit you know too many players there's a couple of players that are really standing out um I feel like I feel like United's fullbacks have probably been their best players this season just because of the way they've had a really big impact. Hannah Blandella and Onabati have really had a big impact on the way they play. You know, the, they they they're they're really being told to push up, they really get into the final third, um, and they're able to kind of do a really good job over there. And I think because the because the the system is geared towards coming inside very centrally, I think that's where Aaliyah Golden's not really getting enough uh, creativity because it's not like we don't want to go out to the wingers so much. We want to play a bit more inside. And and while Toon is playing in this number 10-ish central role, I feel like Toon and Russo have developed a good partnership. So I'll say I'll give him that. I feel like there is a decent partnership building over there. The same thing that happened for this goal was a two-ball to Alessio Russo who did the rest. And we've seen that before as well. So, yeah, I think there are flashes of good things going on, but it's just not enough. And can he carry that through to basically what is a vacant fourth spot right now? There's no obvious candidate um, for it. Tottenham... How long can they keep keep this going? And we'll, you know, that's that's a question mark. So who's going to pick fourth? I don't know. It could be it could be United, but he's probably going to have to think of something doing this. It's not, uh, you know during the next um, couple of weeks and say, okay, how can I fit the players that I have better and get them all to play well within the structure that works for me? Yeah, I think the players that Man United have, I think they do deserve a bit better uh, structurally and tactically with a coach that knows how to play to advantages. It is really interesting what Jesse said about kind of what Mark Skinner can and can't do because his Orlando Pride tenure was very disappointing. Um, I mean, when you have just two names, you know, Alex Morgan and Marta, I mean, what else, like, what else do you need? And, you know, their defense was solid. Their keeper was solid. You know, everything was good. And they still weren't able to, you know, be top of the NWSL, you know, with some of the best players in the history of women's football. So it is quite interesting. But Jesse, we'll talk about your favorite team. Um, Spurs play Arsenal this weekend, which should be an easy, okay, should be a win for Arsenal. Let's not say easy. Um, But do you think this game right now is going to be really telling to see where Spurs really deserve to be in this WCL table, meaning, you know, can they retain a top spot after they play Arsenal, Man City and Chelsea twice? I don't think they're going to finish in the top three or I'd, I'd be surprised if they even finish in the top four, but I think they need to, to have a successful season. You know, I think, it is really clear how much this Spurs team has come on, even even over just this offseason. I think, you know, it's clear when they're going forward that, 
you know, they've, they've structurally got a really good midfield and they know what they're doing, even if it just feels like they're still aren't there, is there to actually execute that. And there's also just like so much confidence in their squad, which I think makes so much difference in these kind of games. But like there was a moment in this game against United where like Ashley Neville was back healing on the edge of United's box. And I was like, what is going on? Like I remember watching Ashley Neville in her first WSL game against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And it's like literally a different player. So I think that's really good for the team. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think they're gonna, they're gonna stay, stay where they are. But I don't think they need to. Um, yeah, to feel good about it. I mean, obviously, the Arsenal game will be fascinating. They've definitely had their moments of getting closer to kind of a win or a draw against Arsenal. I mean, I know that they, they did draw with them once in the Conti Cup, um, and they've obviously scored against Arsenal this season, which is not something every team's done. Um, so, but I, I still expect Arsenal to to blow them away because they they just don't have that that quality there. But yeah, I th- I think that you know, Rahanskin is doing a really good job. Had to slip that in there, didn't you? <laughs> but on to a coach that we love, our Hale Hope Powell. Um a one nil one for Brighton over Everton and a bad start for Jean-Luc Vasseur. I think my French accent was brilliant there. Um, that wasn't too, 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 too bad. Um, Alice isn't here, so she won't criticize me on my French accent um, coming from a French person. Anyway, we haven't had time to talk about this yet because obviously this was announced over the international break. Um, but let's get this out of the way and let's hear what you both think of this managerial appointment for Everton. Jesse, let's start with you. Yeah, I think it's a strange one. I can see it very much fits into Everton's mould at the moment of like, we really want to show that we're a big team in women's football without necessarily feeling like they've thought through what like the outcome of all of that means. And I kind of enjoyed this game as it felt like, this is okay. This is going to sound wrong, but like good versus evil in the sense of like Brighton, like take this like slow and steady, like build with like a really classic proven manager. And Everton are like quite flashy. But then they're like, we break our transfer record every season and sign like Wonder Kids. Now we've gone and like appointed this manager who, on the face of it, has like great credentials. But kind of when you dig into it, it's a bit more like, okay, even before you get into like the tactical elements of Jean-Luc Vasseur, which I will leave to Abdullah because he's the expert on this. But even just the fact that like, this is a guy who's like not managed outside France. He didn't ask anyone what it was like managing in the WSL, which I thought was like a really, that feels like a, you know, a useful thing to like have an understanding of. Um, And it just feels a bit like, um, yeah, like name over, I don't know, actual actual ideas. And then you've just got this guy in this weird situation where no matter how good he is, um, he's got a situation, exactly the same problem that Willie Kirk has, that Everton bought these players, no one really knows how to fit them into the team. At least with Willie Kirk, he presumably chose the players. So Jean-Luc Vasseur is even like further away from that. So... I don't, I don't really understand it. But obviously, as soon as they made a decision to sack Willie Kirk, they had to get someone in, and there's not a huge like number of options. So I can see why they picked him, but I'm not sure how well it. Yeah, and definitely just a background on Jean Luc Besser is that in seven years he's had five teams. Um, so it's not, you know, his record staying at clubs isn't the greatest. Um, and yes, he won the league and he won the Champions League with Lyon, but I think that was a self-coached team. 
as, as Abdullah will definitely talk about right now. Um, Abdullah, the expert, our expert on, on Leon, do you want to get into that just a little bit more? I don't think we have enough time in the pod for me to be able to go into a whole thesis on this, but I'll keep it short, as short as I can. Um, uh, first of all, Alex, I love the way you were just counting the number of clubs there. On, on I think cameras. I counted wrong also. <laughs> One, two, three, four. I think it was four, actually. So I retract my five statement. <laughs> it's fine. Four or five clubs. I mean, it still doesn't that doesn't bode well for, for a record, right? The amount of games together. No, I, I just on the point, yeah, I think I think the Leon is almost a it's it's an it's an illusion almost because if if anybody that did even watch a few of the games that they played, a lot of the team had superstar players essentially who were so good at what they did in every position that you almost didn't need to coach them because they just knew what they had to do and teams couldn't match them. They just, they just won the league and they won the, and they won the champions league. And when the, when the level was raised last season, you saw exactly that Jean-Luc Vasseur just couldn't get up to the mark. He just could not control that team to a point where putting, it's almost like, all right, now that they're under the cosh, do something like show us what you can do with a team that's not winning anymore. And the fact that he got sacked five games before the end of the season, I think is a telling fact. Um, and I've, I've said this again, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I don't see any tactical now. I don't see anything that he brings to this team that Willie Kerr can't do anything any better because and going to Jesse's point, Willie Kirk at least chose the players. So at least he had an idea of what he wanted to do in a, in a, in a, in a short, medium and long-term perspective. With him, he has to now figure out the players that he has, how he they fit in. Again, we go back to structure, right? If he even has a structure, get him into his structure. And then, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if in January he goes back to France and picks up a couple of players and brings them in. And then again, you have the problem of even more new players coming in. And again, you're stuck into this whole cycle of just trying to get players to fit in. And eventually you're going to have 11 new players on the pitch and then suddenly Everton are like, you know, 10th in the league you know and that's obviously a problem um time will tell if 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 everton will give him a long-term project and he's able to sit and really show what he wants because the only if i have to give uh, an opposite argument maybe this is going to be the first time he's going to have a complete say in who he wants to bring in how he wants to play and maybe the players will buy into his philosophy because they said well he can say i coached at leon with some of the best players in the world i picked some things up let's try it and the players will probably be like all right cool let's see what you have to offer so i'll probably just leave it there because <laughs> i can go on and on and on to say the least, but it is, yeah, it's definitely confusing from an Everton perspective that one of the main reasons, I think we all know why Willie Kirk was sacked was because he wasn't getting results. And, you know, Jean-Luc is going to come up with the same problems. It's, you know, he explicitly said on his press conferences that this is going to be a, a thing of patience and growth and everything. And isn't that exactly what, you know, Willie Kirk was doing? And it's, it's kind of a bit weird um the choosing of a manager like Jean-Luc Vessier who isn't really you know ideal in a WSL perspective let alone you know a project perspective that you've he doesn't really have any experience on as I mentioned you know he's not really at clubs for more than a year or two since 2011 so his recent managerial you know CV isn't the most telling 
when Everton wants, uh, you know, results in the long term and want to be with some of the top teams. But we'll see what happens. Um, but looking at someone who was established in the WSL, you know, Hope Bright, um, Hope, I was about to say Hope Brighton. That's not her name. Hope Powell, who manages Brighton. Obviously, Brighton is a long-term project with Hope Powell at the wheel. Um, but we all know that obviously Hope Powell has been really historically good at, at growing players and developing them. And I think Brighton knew exactly what they were getting with Hope Powell. But Jesse, how much further do does Hope Powell and Brighton need to get to keep their current spot in the top four? Yeah, I spoke to um, Fliss Givens over the international break and she was really interesting about this like because I was asking about how did Brighton set goals and she basically said that um, they hadn't really put any pressure on themselves to do any better than last year because they felt like the WSL had got stronger from last year so you know it would be just as good um, for them to, to come in the same position. And I think that's like a really telling aspects of, you know, again, when we're talking about Everton and kind of comparing these two teams um, of how they differ in their kind of approach and kind of the pressure being off the players. And I thought this result against Everton was actually a really good um, win for Brighton. Again, like a really like confidence boosting result where it felt like... Um, for large portions of the game, they felt in control. They scored a good goal without having like loads of chances. Um, and and they really, it felt like they deserved the win, even if the numbers like probably don't actually quite say that. It, it definitely felt like in that moment that, that, that it was it was worth it. Um, to, to stay in the top four, it's going to be tough, but I don't see why they, they can't do it. Um, I think more so than Spurs say, they've got like, better attacking talent. Um, you know, I think Dan Carter, Lee Hyun-min, um, uh, Inessa Kagman as well on pens. Like, I think that's a really like solid set of players who I think will get you goals across, across the season. Um, and, you know, defensively, they have looked really strong um, in, a, in a lot of their matches. Um, I think, it, you know, I think City and United are probably still going to challenge for like those those third and fourth spots. So I think it will be tough. But I think the point is, is that, you know, yeah, it is a long term project and they're not going to like sit around and be like come forth to feel like we've had a successful season. Whereas Everton's problem is they probably do think that what they've spent. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's really impressive. And I think also something that I think about a lot is how long Hope Powell's been there and how hard it can be to like motivate a group of players over, over a long period of time. Um, but I guess, you know, after Hayes, she must be like one of the longest serving managers in the, in the league. Um, so yeah, I like, I just really love this Brighton team and I think they're a really good club who just deserve to do well. And going on to another manager who we don't want to be long-serving in the WSL. Um, Man City got a win, finally. Took them five matches, but they got a win. Um, a decent 4-1 win over Leicester. Um, and, you know, Leicester did score the first goal of the match in the first minute, which you kind of thought, oh no, here, here they go again. Um, but perhaps that's what Man City needed, you know, to go down that early and kind of get, you know, a kick in their bum and kind of just, you know, get your shit together and get this one. Um, Cause Leicester do sit bottom of the table with, with zero points so far in this league. So if there was one win that Man City should get, no matter what form they're in, is probably going to be this one. But Abdullah, we always talk about City's attack, you know, now, especially with Bunny Shaw coming in. Um, but should 
Gareth Taylor maybe put some more emphasis on the midfield, considering that, you know, the players that they have in there, you know, Kira Walsh scored a really good goal, you know, a first time shot, just absolutely banged into the back of the net. Then you have, you know, Caroline Weir, Vicky Lozada, you know, Georgia Sanway, when she plays in the correct position, you have all these players in the midfield that could easily be more important in the attack than the actual attackers. Um, what do you think, Abdullah? No, I agree. I think, I mean, you've got Bunny Shaw and you've got Ellen White. Obviously, you have Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly eventually when she comes back soon. Um, but I think with the way the current system is, you know, this this is 4-3-3 and, and the, the, the level of talent you've got in, in, in midfield, I absolutely agree. I think he needs to change the system or rather you know, adapt the system so that you get the best out of these players. I mean, why do you bring in, you know, Vicky, otherwise, why do you bring in Vicky Lozada on top of all the players that you already had? You know, there was clearly that meant to be, you know, that means that there was a plan to maybe do something with that midfield and kind of change it up because, you know, I mean, a midfield of Walsh, Weir and Lozada, I mean, you compare that to any other midfield three in the world, it's, it's, it's comparable. I mean, those three in themselves in their own right on their day are, are really really good players, um, and I also think um, also think that with the with the players that they have up front, I think it, it it can work well. You look at someone like Chloe Kelly coming in off the right when she's fit, she likes to come inside and come narrow. And if you're playing someone like, say for example, Caroline Weir, you have someone who can be is good on the ball but also knows how to make intelligent off-the-ball runs. She can help pull players away. That helps the combination with Chloe Kelly. On the left side, we all know Lauren Hemp's quality. She's very good on the inside. She's very good on the outside. And then if you have someone like a Losada next to her or a Kira Walsh who's sitting at base, they can use their passing and, and find her and, and get her into good positions to be able to isolate fullbacks and do things like that. And obviously you've got finishes in, in Shaw and, and White up front. So when you've already got like a ready-made, the obvious choice in the front three, and you've got so many options in midfield, then you obviously should focus on midfield. But, you know, let, let's see let's see what happens because, you know, the rumor mill is is rife right now. So we'll see what happens. Let's not get into the rumor mill. We'll, we'll, we'll have to do a whole episode on that later on. <laughs> we'll <But> save it. <laughs> let's, let's move on to the concrete of this Man City win. Um, I could say finally, because it has been... Along, obviously, they have won in other competitions, um, but in the WSL, it has been five matches that it's taken for them to get the first one. But Jesse, was this a good Man City win, or was just this a regular expected result against a bottom of the table team? Uh, I can't describe any win that involves conceding the goal. Man City conceded as good because that was just so bad, um, and. Yeah, I mean, Leicester have been rubbish. If Man City had lost this, it would have been like next levels of catastrophic shock. They'd have had to sack Taylor like immediately, I think. So, um, yeah, I think I'm leaning towards expected result. Um, You know, there were some nice finishes there. Like Walsh's goal was really good. Um, And it's good to see Lauren Hemp scoring because I think that is something that City actually really lack as like much as they rely on hemp she doesn't actually produce that much in terms of goals or assists um that's like her big difference from chloe kelly last season um so i think that's like a good thing for them them to be looking to but um if we're really talking about whether city looked better we'd have to be looking to the chelsea game this this weekend and and judging there i didn't really see anything in this that made me think it would be 
markedly different from the Chelsea game last weekend. Um, so, but you know, we'll see. I I think it's it's hard to judge, right? Because ultimately, I'm like, whilst all these players are out injured, the excuse will always be that the players are out injured. Um, so, you know, they might win, lose or draw, but they're still going to say they're not at their like peak capacity if they don't perform. So I feel like until those players are back, that's when the screws will really like turn on Taylor if he can't start getting performances then. And the chances are he might start getting performances then because those players are like all quite good. So it's, I feel like he could really limp on for quite a long time is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, I think he can, he can live off that, that excuse for a little bit longer. Um, if you know, even if Man City don't make the Champions League, for example, I think it'll be like, oh yeah, but we miss and you know we miss injuries and we miss players for half the season, so you know you can't blame us. And then we have to deal with Gary Taylor for another year. Anyway, moving on to Birmingham nil, Reading three. Uh, Natasha Dowie and Deanne Rose scored a brace. Um, another player who. I think is under the radar, perhaps. I mean, we don't really talk about it much, but we did talk about her a lot, especially in the Olympics. Um, one of the standout players over the summer. Um, but yeah, we've talked about it before, about how Reading are perhaps underperforming this season compared to last. Uh, Farrah Williams was a very, very big loss, as we keep mentioning on this podcast. But yeah, you know, Deanne Rose is another big player, but obviously you don't really have that same weight of responsibility in one player as it did in Farrah Williams. And I think Farrah Williams' position in the midfield and how good she was at that position would be a really big loss, I think, for any team, no matter what. Um, But Abdullah, you know, going on to Birmingham, you know, they fought against relegation last season and now they're already in a similar position, sitting second to last, which I think we might have predicted in our preview podcast. Um, but do you think they can save themselves again? Um, I mean, there is Leicester who are doing worse than them, but do you think that they're going to perhaps be able to save a few points later in the season? I mean, if we're going based on literally head-to-head on current form, then you'd have to give it to Birmingham by the slightest of margins it's because they've got the one draw over uh, over Leicester City and, and, and that's what's keeping them out of the relegation zone right now. I feel like I'll probably, and, and I think those, you know, less than Birmingham have been the worst two teams in the league and the position in the table shows it. I think if, I think Birmingham might just get lucky again and, and not, not go down because if, if less they don't start getting points in the next say two games, I think it's a very good chance that Birmingham could survive once again, because, you know, you've got Everton who are in 10th, but let's face it. We, it's a very, 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 very unlikely chance that Everton are going to get relegated. They will climb up the table. Maybe they'll end up at eighth or seventh, but they will be relatively safe in mid-table. So you, you remove them. You're down to Reading and Aston Villa, and both of them already have six and seven points on the board. You know, Brighton are flying, Tottenham are flying, West Ham are up on eight points. Um, City are on seven, but they should climb up the table. So teams you expect to be around them are third and fourth on the table. The one, the one who's in 10th is probably going to go up and the one in 7th is going to go up. So um, realistically, they're running out of people to compete with. And right now, because Leicester are worse than them, by the virtue of that, they may just survive. So again, they might get lucky and stay up. But um, if Leicester get points and, and Leicester show the same form that they've been showing in, in, in flashes over the first five games, who knows? Maybe something can happen and, and Leicester come back with the incredible comeback that Leicester have. You know, we'll see. We'll see. I'll definitely be a story of the season. But Jesse, looking at Reading, what more do you want to see from Kelly Chambers and Reading? 
Yeah, I think probably just more of the same. I feel like over these past two games, we've seen kind of Deanne Rose, who I think has actually looked pretty good all the season, but, um, you know, like really start to produce more. Um, um, this felt like they scored. It's so hard because in the Villa game, they just scored very, very good kind of fluky goals. Um, so you're like, okay, this isn't really like a great attacking performance. And then in this game, you're like, okay, they scored three goals again, but um, Birmingham were like just gave everyone the freedom of the penalty area. Um, Deanne Rose's first goal was a header, and apparently it's the first header she's ever scored in her career, which I think just tells you all about the amount of space Deanne Rose has given in the box, which I feel like if, you know, Reading don't have like loads of standout stars. So I feel like if you were going to pick someone to mark, Deanne, like just one, Deanne Rose might be like a, a, a good one to, to go with. Um, but, you know, I think these are the games we kind of expect Reading to win. You just hope, you know, I think having Tasha Dowie and Deanne Rose as your like creative attacking outlets and Brooke Chapman's look good too. That's like a really good basis to build, build stuff off. And I think Reading will just, you know, I do worry for them a bit because I think the direction the club is going in is it does look like they maybe can't compete at this level, like term, um, which is the way lots of clubs who don't have Premier League teams attached to them are going, you know, it's just Reading and, and Birmingham kind of like left. So I think this will be, they'll be fine. You know, I think as Abdullah said, it's between Birmingham, Leicester, and I think it will be Birmingham still um, who go down. But um, I I just worry for Reading generally in the future because I just don't think they're going to be able to spend like other teams are spending. And that's not even really their fault. So I think, you know, they're like a great, like historic side who, I, who I've really enjoyed seeing at the top level. But yeah, I just don't know how, how long it's going to last. But I hope they like ha- have a fine season, but I think that we'll probably finishing in eighth, ninth, tenth, and I think that's about what you would predict based off their score. The salary reality of women's football—that's a very depressing note to end on. Um, Jesse, thanks for that. We we can we can go on a more positive note. Let's talk about Christy Mewis and how she's in London with Sam Kerr and Chelsea get to play Man City on the weekend. I can't believe Christy flew all the way from. Um, sent to London only for Sam to just fuck off to Switzerland like I literally the evening she got here <laughs> she was left alone in a foreign country but anyway what and on that point about how this weekend um yeah this weekend is women's football weekend um I don't think it's going to be as hype as last last year um but we'll see anyway obviously Man City versus Chelsea is going to be the big match of the weekend and it should be really good um obviously Arsenal Tottenham is probably second best to that um but it should be a good weekend overall just you know a lot of games to watch and if you if you can get out to one I suggest you do because it should be relatively fun I hope um says the one that's not going out to any matches so I apologize um, but yeah, you can keep up to date with our latest episodes at Box Box WSL on Twitter. Thank you. We've hit 800 followers. Um, but yeah, one of the biggest things, biggest updates coming up is when our next Women's Champions League episode is going to be at the end of the month. Um, that should be very exciting. A lot of things to talk yep. about, a lot of good goals. Um, and there is Champions League going on right now as we record this. So yeah, just follow us on Twitter and we'll let you know when our next Champions League episode will be recorded. And perhaps we'll, we'll give in some listener questions on that one too. But yeah, uh, thank you everyone again and see you next week. Bye. See you next week.